Welcome, everyone. Tonight, we begin a, a spiritual journey that will span 40-some days, beginning tonight all the way to Holy Saturday, that evening right before Easter morning. And tonight is actually a celebration of our need of God. That's why we began with those words, Lord, I need you. Just recognizing that together. A time where we get to pause and remember our own mortality. The fact that one day we're going to die. This is a strange thing to do. Not a lot of people gather to remember that they're going to die. But that's what we're doing tonight. Uh, This truth highlights our need to turn away from our own way of doing things. Turning back to God's way. And that's a process called repentance, which means to turn. In the earliest centuries, Christians who had been stuck in persistent sin, they would have ashes sprinkled all over their bodies as a sign of repentance. Even as Job repented, quote, in dust and ashes. But then around the 10th century, the church decided, you know what? We could probably all use these ashes on us as a sign that we ought to repent. And so all believers by then started marking, being marked, the sign of the cross on their forehead as a way to join with those in need of repentance. And we join with those historic Christians tonight. But this practice isn't only historical, it's also deeply, deeply biblical. The latter half of Genesis 3.19 reads, From dust you are, and to dust you will return. You'll have those words read over you as you come forward and receive ashes tonight. And Abraham speaks of his own frailty in Genesis 18, verse 27. He says, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. In the fourth chapter of the book of Esther, we hear of the Jewish people, and they're in mourning, and they themselves are in sackcloth and ashes. In Samuel, 2 Samuel, actually, 13, there's this tragic story of Tamar. And it says, Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went. In the book of Jonah, when Jonah, his warning finally makes its way to the king of Nineveh, says the king of Nineveh put on sackcloth and ashes as a way to signify and embody his repentance. Jesus goes on to say of these cities, Tyre and Sidon, that had he performed his miracles in those cities, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. I think you get the point. This is a very, James gets the point. Tonight is a celebration of our need of God. It's it's a a celebration of repentance that we get this opportunity. And so in that light, let's sing one more time. Lord, I need you.
This evening will be experienced in uh, five, five movements that we'll go through together. The presence of God, the reality of our mortality, the invitation to repentance, the imposition of the ashes, and the final word of hope. So I invite you into movement one, the presence of God. What I'll do is I'll lead us in a prayer known as the examine. It's a contemplative prayer, so there'll be some light music going on in the background, and you'll be asked to engage in this. The examine is really just a prayer about reviewing your life, examining your life. Now, that could be the last 24 hours, last couple days, last few weeks. Could be all the way back to February of 2022, if you'd like. But I think it'll be easiest if we just begin by reviewing the last day. So in this movement, we'll begin by acknowledging an awareness of God. We begin by simply placing ourselves in the presence of a loving God. Now, this whole exercise you can do with your eyes open or closed. I find it way more helpful with my eyes closed because it's very easy to get distracted. It's easier for me to concentrate with my eyes closed. I also find it helpful to be very conscious of sitting up straight, not rigid, but not slouched. I like to have my feet flat on the floor if I can. Then, once there, you can start to focus on your breath. Go ahead, breathe in deeply. Breathe out deeply. Again, fill your lungs, breathe in deeply. Breathe out deeply. And as we continue to breathe, I'd like to lead us in a prayer. Gracious God, I believe that I am in your presence and you are loving me. Lord Jesus, I believe that at this very moment, with whatever is going on in my life, I am in your presence and you are loving me. Without condition, without restriction, without limit. And so I choose to open my mind, my memory, my imagination, my entire self to your love. Now continue to breathe deeply. And I want to ask this question. You can begin imagining this. What are you grateful for? We're going to spend some time here. And this isn't just counting your blessings. Rather, this is savoring your blessings. So I'll ask you some questions to help guide you. Who are the people that you love and that you know love you? Let their faces come to mind. Let their smiles come to mind in front of you. Continue to breathe. And in this moment, why don't you even breathe in their love? Those people, those faces coming to your mind, breathe in their love for you, which is the way God expresses his love to you. And as you breathe out, why don't you exhale and Breathe out whatever disagreements, whatever arguments, whatever tensions there are in those relationships. And as you exhale, just set those aside for now. And as we continue in gratitude, you might want to be conscious of your hand posture. Are your hands in a way that is saying, Lord, I'm open and I'm grateful. I'm thankful for you in my life. Why don't you spend a moment now in your own mind just thanking God for the gift of our faith. Jesus has touched our lives. This faith that sustains us, a Jesus who has never given up on us. Why don't you thank God for that? Continuing on, you might wonder, what are some of the gifts and talents that God has blessed you with? What are you really good at? Can you thank God for those things? What are the supernatural gifts that God blessed you with? What are the virtues in your life where through the grace of God you feel the power of Christ moving in your life? 
Are you a good listener? Are you patient? Are you compassionate? Are you merciful? Are you energetic? Are you artistic? What are those gifts? Acknowledge them. Name them before God. And acknowledge that all these gifts truly come from one source. During a slight musical interlude, I'd like you to consider what's happened in the last day, the last couple days, that makes your heart smile. What's happened that you're especially grateful for? This will be more helpful if your eyes are closed. But see if you can picture Jesus before you, smiling at you, delighting in you. Can you behold God beholding you and smiling? Take this moment to thank him for the gifts that you're grateful for. Next, we'll we'll review the day more intently this time acknowledging and noticing not just the things we're grateful for, but the things that may feel more like grief or desolation. So let's begin with this morning. Picture yourself stepping out of bed. When you woke up, how did you feel as you woke up? Were you excited about the day? Was it drudgery getting out of bed? Or was there excitement? And what were the opening movements of your heart through the day? Did you feel a sense of peace? Sadness? Anxiety? Hope? What was going on? Wonder what what surprised you today? What delighted you today? What frustrated you today? Did you lose your temper? Did you become fearful or defensive? Is there something that happened with a family member or a friend that particularly delighted you today? Did you feel lonely today? Were you afraid or anxious? Remember your day and remember what you felt. And which of those positive feelings is strongest to you? Something you felt throughout the course of the day and you just want that feeling to grow. You want to fan that flame. Even if it was only a few moments in the course of the whole day, whatever it was, maybe someone smiled or you got a phone call or or you accomplished a task, or you heard something from God in the scriptures today, take a moment and talk to Jesus about that. As one friend to another, take a moment and talk to him about that positive feeling. And now listen. Take a moment, still your heart, and just be in the presence of Jesus. Listen to him. Maybe he says something. Maybe as you picture him, he's doing something. Maybe it's a thought that comes to your mind. Just be open, be still, and wait for him to speak. Now, 
thinking of the same day today. Bring a negative feeling from the day. Something you need to let go of. Acknowledge it was there. Acknowledge that it happened before God. Maybe you pushed it aside in the corner, but there it is. You know it was there. You recognize it. Engage it. And bring it before the Lord. Just talk to Him about why you feel the way you feel. Maybe you're ashamed of that feeling. You don't want to feel that feeling, but there it is. Maybe you're afraid of that feeling. Bring it before the Lord. And as you do, again, behold Him beholding you. Jesus is listening. He's receiving your sorrow or your anger or your fear. Speak to Him as one friend to another where He listens without judgment. And now again, we'll take time to listen. If you're good at visualizing, then just picture Jesus' face. Again, maybe He says something. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he puts his hand on your shoulder. Engage your imagination. What do you imagine Jesus, who is infinite love, doing in response to what you just shared? Let him surprise you. Now, finally, let's think about tomorrow because you'll be back at it tomorrow. As you face your future, is there anything you want to hold on to from today? Anything you want to be especially conscious of tomorrow? What has the Holy Spirit been trying to teach you, trying to get your attention of? Can you take that into tomorrow? What is it that you need less of tomorrow? What is it that you need more of? It's one thing just to think about these things. It's another to ask Jesus for the grace you need to face tomorrow in hope. In hope with greater love and less fear. What gift, what virtue are you especially praying for? What would allow you to be a more complete mirror of Christ's presence in the world? During this final musical interlude, why don't you ask God for that gift? come back to the room <clears throat> it is a gift to be in the presence of God and it's way too easy to forget that we are always in the presence of God many things happen when we acknowledge the presence of God right all sorts of things happen but here's one thing that happens that we rarely say bluntly we become aware of ourselves when we're in the presence of God. We slow down enough to remember the simple fact of our mortality. That everything around us, including us, in this form and this life, is temporary. Recognizing our mortality doesn't have to be depression or melancholy. In fact, in the scriptures, this sort of thing is called wisdom. 
Listen to the prayer of David. This is in Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. David, the man after God's own heart, says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Moses, again, great father of the faith, in Psalm 90, he says in verse 12, we'll read this whole psalm in a little bit, but he says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Peter, in his apostle, or in his uh, epistle, in 1 Peter, he quotes Psalm 103, saying, For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We will not live forever. When we come face to face with this reality, it's sobering. Yet it's not debilitating. It's actually the heart of wisdom. So together, what we're going to do is read aloud five truths, five remembrances that in the presence of God, we don't have to turn away from. And the way I want to read these will be uh, similar to wedding vows. Not that we're making a vow, but we'll do it in that style, you know, where someone reads the line after me. So it's in your uh, program, but you can also just say exactly what I say right back. Would you stand for these if you are able? <clears throat> I will lose my youth. I will lose my health. I will lose my loved ones. Everything I hold dear. And finally, life itself. This is the very nature of being human. You may be seated. Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to the dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in a, in a sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is, that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.
these are unfamiliar words in our American culture. We, and when I say we, I include myself, do everything we can to avoid the reality of mortality. Youthfulness isn't just sort of idolized. It's clung to, held onto with desperation. Desperation. Madonna, once the idol of youthful sensuality is aging because she's human. But instead of her face growing old, it's just growing different. Surgery has allowed her to change the shape of her face to the point of being almost unrecognizable. In fact, if you look at any of the news from the Grammys, you won't hear people writing about the music they heard, but commenting on the shape of her face. And have you heard of Brian Johnson? Yeah, he's 45. He made a bunch of money in tech went back in his 30s, selling a company. He made like $800 million um, 15 years ago. And uh, now he has a team of 30 doctors. And he spends $2 million a year trying to maintain a youthful body. He's only 45. $2 million a year. This is what he says. His goal is to eventually have all of his major organs, including his brain, liver, kidneys, teeth, hair, penis, rectum, functioning as they were in his late teens. And he's not stopping. It is insane. Youth is displayed as publicly and clearly as possible in our culture. Youthfulness sells things. It sells things because it offers us a false grasp at immortality. So we love people in our films, people on our magazines, people in our billboards to be young. But in contrast, youthfulness is everywhere. Death and aging is hidden. We don't want to see it. Nursing homes hide the dying. Hospitals don't just have rooms for the sick and dying, but curtains that cover everything unless you're part of the family that's privy to see what's happening. And those who die in homes, in their own homes, are taken away as fast as they can be. We don't want to see it. We don't want to look at that. We don't even like to use the words die or death. My mom recently, what am I going to say? Passed away. And that was all I could say, really. She passed away, gone to a better place, um, any other sort of figure of speech that could avoid me having to say, she is dead. The reality of death is just not an easy thing to come to term with. But this is a disservice to all of us, not just to the aging, but to the young. <clears throat> There's a gentleman, Matthew O'Reilly, who has a TED Talk called Am I Dying? And in it, uh, he writes about an EMT first responder in Suffolk County, Long Island. And the typical question when you're an EMT first responder and you get to someone after they've had some kind of bad accident is, am I going to die? And so <clears throat> you recognize a few things that oftentimes there's a lie. Maybe not an intentional lie. Maybe the person's just being hopeful. But it's something like, no, you think to be comforting. You say, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. We're going to make it. You're going to make it. Keep breathing. Keep fighting. You're going to make it.
this EMT responder finally decided to tell the truth after a young man was in a motorcycle accident and this EMT knew beyond a shadow of a doubt this, this person's not going to make it. I can see based on their vitals, based on the size of the wound, that they're not going to make it. And so he decided that first time, am I going to die? The EMT responded, yes. And what he saw for the first time was some peace and acceptance, some dignity for those last moments. And so he began to say yes when he knew the answer was yes. And what he saw over a series of events were these three patterns to those final moments. One, people had a need for forgiveness. If he said, yes, you are going to die, people would speak out that I, I need to be forgiven. This idea, whether you believe in the concept of sin or not, guilt is universal. Second was this need for remembrance. So all of a sudden, he'd tell them yes, and so they'd ask his EMT crew, please don't forget me. If the person had family, they'd say, you got it. Please keep my memory alive with my family, uh, or you guys, if they didn't have anyone, they'd say, you guys, EMTs, don't forget me. There was this need for remembrance, for immortality in some way, shape, or form. Will you remember me? And then the third one, the third pattern that emerged was this need to know that their life had meaning. People would say, there, there was so much that I wanted to get done. There was so much I wanted to do, so much I wanted to accomplish, the kind of person I wanted to become. They wanted their life to have meaning. They needed for it to have meaning. By being honest about the reality of death in those final moments, people were able to have a more meaningful last few moments. Instead of the EMT offering them some sort of false hope, you're going to be fine, just hold on. They were able to reckon with their reality. Some, no doubt, even coming to faith. And according to Moses in Psalm 90, reckoning with the reality of death brings us to the heart of wisdom. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We might have some rhythm for the rest of our service, <laughs> but it's okay. It's because of this truth that the church throughout history practiced something called memento mori. This Latin phrase that means, remember, you will die. It's essentially what it means. Memento mori. And what I love is if you look like at Renaissance art in particular, you'll see people's portraits, but then there'll be like a random skull in the corner. And you think, wow, they are so goth. Or there'll be like, a flower that's, the petals are falling off it, or a piece of fruit in a bowl that's rotting. And you're like, what is going on? But people knew they wanted that wisdom, that even in your portrait, where you might think I'm being, like, immort immortalized, right, in a portrait to last forever, that death is still what is coming to you. Everyone dies. Tonight, we have the opportunity to have ashes on our heads, kind of as a bit of a memento mori. Remember, you will die. You will return to dust. And again, this is not just because we're dark or morbid or morose. No, we have a greater hope than this life. We're freed. We can come face to face with death because we know we are freed from the cares of this life. And so in our mortality, there is both grief, very real grief, and joy. 
grief because we leave others behind or we're left behind by others. But joy because all that we so often get carried away with, writhe in anxiety about, lie awake in worry over is not of ultimate worth. Joy, because all that we love most deeply will be known most fully after our death. Let's take a moment of silence before we go to the next movement of ashes. Repentance. Well, in light of our mortality, we now move on to an invitation of repentance. Memento mori. Remember you are going to die. Why? So you can pull the covers over your head and cry? No, because remembering your death ought to cause you to live differently. To live in such a way that you can die with dignity and faith. In Matthew 4, it says that after Jesus fasted for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil, by the evil one. He was tempted in in what we could say are three areas. Appetite, approval, and ambition. During Lent, one of the things we seek to do is identify with Jesus in his 40 days of fasting. And so we seek to follow in his footsteps. And so we can recognize that as followers of Jesus, we often struggle with these same core temptations, appetite, approval, and ambition. Appetite. The evil one says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus had just fasted for 40 days. Bread would be great. By fasting alone in the wilderness, Jesus was addressing one of his appetites, his very embodied appetite for food. By saying no to one of his appetites, he was dealing with the necessary capability of saying no to all of them. Jesus models true freedom, which involves restraining desire not constantly gratifying it and becoming a slave to it. So as we seek to move to a time of repentance, I want to ask you this about appetite. Are you controlled by your desire and hunger? Do your surface-level cravings have a tight grip on you? Is your life driven by feeding those parts of you? And you can put whatever that your appetite is for in there. Clothing, pornography, literal food, whatever has a hold on you, appetite. The next core temptation is for approval. The evil one says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Had Jesus jumped and been miraculously rescued, the crowds would have gone wild. I mean, imagine this guy jumping, and then angels are, and he's sort of flying through the sky. All of Jerusalem would have swooned over Jesus. His following would have grown. His fame would have spread. But by freeing himself from the opinions of others, Jesus offers us a more stable ground for our own identities. See, his identity didn't need to be proven by the crowds cheering and loving him. It could be rooted in the unchanging love of God. So thinking about approval and repentance, here's the question. Is your identity hanging on the approval of others? A group of people or a particular person Is the scale that measures your worth given to you by God 
or by another source. Finally, ambition. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Ambition. In this case, this is an invitation to instant gratification, to a shortcut, to build a kingdom without the pain and suffering of the cross. By resisting the shortcut, Jesus shows us that our obedience, not the measurable results we produce, bear ultimate worth. The means do not justify the end. Here's a question. Are you defined by your ambition? Does your identity rise and fall on the shaky ground of measurable success? The pathway to freedom for any and all of these is to recognize your sin. Acknowledge it before God in confession. And then turn away and practice a new way of life in repentance. During the next song, you're invited to sing along, if that feels helpful for you, or to sit and meditate with God, identifying any sins you hope to bring before Him.
Creator God, you fashioned us out of dust, breathing your spirit into us so we might sing your praise. But we have denounced your gift of life in order to be our own gods, clinging to death-dealing idols of our own making. Join me in the words of confession in your program. Have mercy on us according to your loving kindness. Breathe new life into us once more so we might be the people you created us to be. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation that we might do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. receive the imposition of ashes. There's no restriction by belief, conduct, status, or age. We all bear the mark of sin, from the youngest babies to the oldest seniors. We all stand guilty before a holy God. We are all mortal and will someday experience bodily death. Thus, we all need a Savior. You're invited to come forward during this next song to receive the imposition of ashes. So I'd ask everybody, if you're kind of in the back or towards that way, if you'd kind of walk around and get down this middle aisle here, I will bless you with the ashes. I'll mark your forehead if, if this has never been done before to you and I will be reciting words from Genesis 3.19. Come forward as you're ready. 
to those who follow Jesus, we know that this mark we bear on our head is the cross, which somehow transforms a symbol of suffering and death into a symbol of unending, resurrected life. And so the last word, wherever a cross is symbolized, is always life. The kind of life that can draw all the ashes together into something new once more. And so we sing tonight a song of hope, and then you will be given a blessing of hope, and that's how we'll end our evening.
like master level chef. One of the things you'll do at the beginning of the meal is offer an amuse-bouche. And if you're really, really top level, that amuse-bouche will sort of offer a taste of everything that's to come in the whole meal. And that little taste at the very beginning will be ringing ever so stronger towards the end of the meal. That's what Ash Wednesday is. We've come face to face with death with Good Friday, with the death of God even. And yet we've also tasted, hopefully, even just a little bit, what comes two days after, what comes in the resurrection. So if you feel comfortable, you can put your hands in a posture of receiving and receive this this poem as a benediction by Jan Richardson. All those days you felt like dust like dirt, as if all you had to do was turn your face toward the wind and be scattered to the four corners, or swept away by the smallest breath as insubstantial. Did you not know what the Holy One can do with dust? This is the day we freely say we are scorched. This is the hour we are marked by what has made it through the burning. This is the moment we ask for the blessing that lives within the ancient ashes that make its home inside the soil of this sacred earth. So let us be marked, not for sorrow, and let us be marked, not for shame, Let us be marked not for false humility or for thinking we are less than we are, but for claiming what God can do within the dust, within the dirt, within the stuff of which the world is made, and the stars that blaze in our bones, and the galaxies that spiral inside the smudge we bear. That poem is in your bulletins should you want to revisit it the next time you feel like nothing but dust. Brothers and sisters, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.